Hey folks, Trevor here with the Marathon Training Academy podcast. We're bringing you a special bonus episode from the New York City Marathon last weekend. Angie, who's also here. I think so. (laughs) Angie had the opportunity to participate in a panel discussion called Marathon Stories. It was an event put on by Generation UCAN, one of our faithful podcast sponsors. And she was there with three other fabulous ladies, Tina Muir, Carrie Tollefson, and Emily Abati. So we were able to record the session, and that's what you're going to hear. These ladies are going to talk about what brought them to the marathon, why they got started in podcasting, some of the struggles they've had in their running. Also, they'll talk about nutrition and fueling, social media, and all kinds of good stuff. And of course, this was uh, recorded in front of a live audience. And Angie, this might have been your first live podcast episode. I know it was for sure. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we really want to thank all of the MTA listeners and fans who came out to the live event. We got to meet many of them, and as always, it's an honor and a privilege for us to be able to meet our listeners who are incredibly inspiring people. Yeah, that's right. We might have to make this an annual thing, you know, even if we're not running the New York City Marathon, to just go over there and do some of these events because it was just so energizing to be there and and also to meet so many folks that listen to the podcast who come in from all over the world. Yeah, that's right. So, okay, really quick rundown of the marathon. Um, Who won the 2019 New York City Marathon? Well, the men's wheelchair winner was Daniel Romachuk, and this was his sixth world marathon major of the year. So he's a very prolific racer. And the female wheelchair winner was Manuela Schar. So congratulations to both of them. On the men's side of things, the champion this year was Goffrey Kamerwar of Kenya. He won in two hours, eight minutes, and 13 seconds after leaving the lead pack behind at mile 24. Of course, he won the 2017 New York City Marathon, and he's the current half marathon world record holder. This guy's on fire. He is. He's also the training partner of Elliot Kipchoge. So, you know, obviously training among the greats there has really affected his performance. I want to see a Kipchoge camera showdown at a race. <laughs> I think right now they're like encouraging each other on to their specific challenges. It was really cool to see Camerar go over and, and give Kipchoge a big hug after the marathon. The second place men's winner was Albert Career of Kenya. He finished in two hours, eight minutes, and 36 seconds. And the third place male was Girma Bekele Gebre. He came in in two hours, eight minutes, and 38 seconds, so very close to second. And the interesting thing about him is he's a sub-elite from Ethiopia who's been recently living in the States, and apparently right before the race, he decided to go out with the elite lead pack, and so he was just kind of an upset third-place winner. In fact, he doesn't even have an agent at this point. I'm sure that's probably been taken care of by now, (laughs) but yeah, definitely a big breakthrough in his career. And then on the American side of things, Jared Ward was the first place American and sixth overall in two hours, 10 minutes, and 45 seconds. Okay, and on the women's side? The women's winner was doing her debut marathon, and she's the half marathon world record holder. Her name is Jocelyn Jepkoski of Kenya. She finished in a time of two hours, 22 minutes, and 38 seconds, and she missed the course record by just seven seconds, but this was still the second fastest women's time in the history of the New York City Marathon, so very impressive for her first marathon. Uh, defending champion Mary Kitani of Kenya finished second in two hours, 23 minutes, and 32 seconds. Um, so she had a very good showing there. She's run New York City eight times. She's finished first four times. She's finished second two times, and she's finished third two times. So she's always podiumed at New York City. Very experienced woman. And in third place was Root Aga of Ethiopia with a time of two hours, 25 minutes, and 51 seconds. And then Des Linden is the first American and sixth overall in two hours, 26 minutes, and 46 seconds. It's interesting that the top Americans both finished sixth. Yeah, that was very interesting. (laughs) I don't think they planned that. (laughs) Actually, um, Des Linden ran a pretty gutsy race. She said she decided just to kind of lay it down from the beginning and kind of go out and be a little bit risky with her pace and led for a while. Obviously, it didn't work out for her to podium, but she still had a very strong race. Well, huge congrats to all of you that ran the New York City Marathon virtual high five for taking on those hills. You know, I kept hearing about how hilly it was from people that ran it because we we haven't done it yet. We keep trying to get in the lottery, but no luck so far. I don't think of New York City as being particularly hilly, but I guess, yeah, it's uh, it's kind of a hilly course. 
Yeah, it's it's not the easiest course. I've heard that it's challenging to PR there. You don't necessarily see world record times being thrown down there for sure. It's not flat like Berlin or Chicago would be. So huge congrats to all of you that finished the New York City Marathon. We definitely hope to do it uh, next year if plans work out. But we were just really fortunate to be there. Now that we live closer, we can actually drive there. It's only about four hours for us. So we were there for this live podcast event with Generation You Can't. And then the next day, we had a meetup run. This was actually our first meetup run. Usually we meet up at a restaurant, but this time we met up for a run. And we had maybe about you know 25 or 30 listeners from all over the world who came to the marathon and were able to get away and uh, meet up with us for this run through Central Park. Yeah, it was really cool. Um, one of our MTA coaches, Coach Steve, who paces the New York City Marathon every year, uh, led the run, and we got to see the conclusion, at least the elites finish, the 5K that morning. So that was really, it was really kind of neat. And then um, after our short run, we met up for coffee or tea. <laughs> yep, that's right. We, we started right at the Marathon Pavilion, ran around Central Park, only about 2.1 miles. You know, we didn't want to wear people out before their marathon. And then finished back in front of the Marathon Pavilion. And then that is right next to Tavern on the Green, which is the only restaurant in Central Park. And they happened to open at 9 right when we finished. So those that wanted to stay, we went in there and had coffee and sat around and visited for another 45 minutes or an hour or so. So yeah, a lot of fun. Just definitely so energizing to hear these runners and their stories and talk to them about their race goals and how many marathons they've done. Play a quick soundbite for you from the MTA Meetup. Hey, I'm in Central Park. We are on a run. We just stopped to watch the elites finish the 5K here on the Saturday. I've got some amazing runners from all over the world who have come out for the marathon. I'm just going to pass this around so folks can say really quick their name and where they're from because I will not remember. We'll start with we'll start with Steve, but everyone knows who he is. He's a legend. <laughs> uh, the legend that is uh, Steve Walden uh, from Marin County now, uh, 12 years in New York, uh, running the New York City Marathon for my eighth or ninth time. I forget. Uh, pacing 3:30. Uh, here with a bunch of MTAers. It's a great morning. It's going to be an epic weekend. Right on, right on. Hi, I'm Carly Stilson. I'm from Kansas City, Missouri, and I, I'm not running tomorrow, but shout out to my older brother who's running his first New York tomorrow. Hi, I'm Selena from Hong Kong, here with my husband, Sam. Hi. Yeah, he's not running, <laughs> but uh, it will be my first New York City Marathon. I'm really looking forward to that. I'm Jay. I'm local from New Jersey. Not running tomorrow, but I've run the New York City Marathon three times. It's an absolutely amazing course. Shout out to all the fellow MTAers and to Trevor and Angie for organizing this meetup. Yeah, we can do it. This is John Henderson from Baton Rouge, Louisiana. I am not running the New York City Marathon tomorrow, but I am here to support my good friend Simone. Hi, Simone Mir. This is my first marathon, and I'm super excited about it. John convinced me to enter the lottery, and I won. <laughs> Hi, I'm Simona Beninati from Rochester, New York. I'm here with my friend Mickey, who ran the New York City Marathon last year. And I also have a good friend, Barbara, who's running it today as well. Hi, my name's Mickey. I'm from New York City. I'm living in Rochester right now. I ran New York City last year, not running tomorrow, um, but here to hang out. <laughs> Hi, g'day. I'm Sarah from Brisbane, Australia. This is my first New York Marathon, third marathon. I'm super pumped. <laughs> Hi, my name is Chuck Thompson from Chino Hills, California. Hi, I'm Kristen Williamson. I'm from uh, Wilmer, Minnesota. I'm Estelle, and I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. Thank you, Estelle. Hi, I'm Pei. I'm from Taiwan. Just moved to New York and excited to see Runner's Round tomorrow. Hello, I'm Matthias. I'm from Berlin, Germany, and I'm here for the New York Marathon. Hi, I'm Tori Schulte from Ashburn, Virginia, and I'm running my first New York Marathon. Hi, this is Catherine Chang. I'm running a New York Marathon tomorrow, and it's my first one. Hi, this is Tim Schlang. I'm also from Ashburn, Virginia, and this is my first New York marathon. We got Adrian and Justina from Melbourne, Australia, running our first New York marathon, and we're super pumped up for it. Hi, this is Katie Heil from Baltimore, Maryland. Probably shouldn't have said my last name. <laughs> That's okay. Really excited to meet Angie and Trevor and be here in New York on this beautiful weekend. Oh my gosh. Those guys are booking it. Yeah, just name and where you're from. Okay. This is Jenny from L.A. Sorry. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I'm Marty Gardner, and I'm from Macon, Georgia. Thanks, Marty. Yes, please do. Hi, I'm Hamilton Reeve. I'm from Atlanta, Georgia. 
and it's my first New York marathon. Yes. Hi, I'm Shafali Badwani. I'm from New York. Tomorrow I'm running my first New York City marathon. Hi, I'm Dominique. I'm running New York tomorrow. I'm from New Jersey. And how many times have you done this race? It's going to be my seventh. You're an old pro. No, not ready. (laughs) (laughs) Hi, I'm Elizabeth Lichty from Kansas City, Missouri, but I live in New York City now. I'm not running tomorrow, but I'm very excited to go cheer on my club. So go Reservoir Dogs. Reservoir Dogs. Yeah, I love them. Nice. Hi, this is Amanda. I'm from Indianapolis, Indiana, and this is my first New York City marathon. I'm running with my sister, Coach Chris. Oh, yeah. I know her. That's great. So thank you to all the amazing runners that came out for the MTA meetup. We definitely hope to do it again next year. And thanks again to MTA coach Steve Walden for leading the run, since Angie and I both know very little about uh, Central Park. And (laughs) we are from the West and still have a lot to learn about New York City, especially driving in New York City, right, Angie? (laughs) Yeah, but we definitely look forward to being back many, many times for this marathon All right, well, now we're going to play our live podcast episode, Marathon Stories, with Angie, Tina, Emily, and Carrie. And this was organized by Generation You Can. We met at the Marriott Marquis Hotel, which overlooks Times Square. And in the beginning, you're going to hear from Varun from Generation You Can. He's going to kind of set the scene for you and introduce the speakers. And then uh, these ladies will get right into it. And by the way, if you guys want to try Generation You Can, of course, you've heard us talk about it. It's what we use to fuel for long runs and races, and we've used it for, for years. And it works amazing. You can use the code MTANYC, since this is the uh, New York City live podcast episode. So MTANYC to save 15%. When you go over to Generation You Can and place an order. And also, if you are a first-time customer, use the code MTA25 and you'll save 25%. So, all right, without further ado, here is the live podcast from the New York City Marathon. Good evening, everyone. Thank you very much for joining us here to kick off New York City Marathon weekend. There's probably a lot of nerves in the room. Uh, People looking for tips, people looking for inspiration. We've got an incredible conversation for you tonight, uh, Marathon Stories with Emily, Tina, Angie, and Carrie. Before we introduce our guests and get this thing rolling, um, I just want to personally thank you on behalf of the UCAN company for joining us here tonight for Marathon Stories. Um, when we think about the marathon, the, the element of a story is so tied to the race. You know, everybody runs the marathon for their own reason, and they have their own personal journey as you go on the marathon. And that, that's what makes it feel so special. You know, that's what really allows so many of us to resonate with the marathon, even if we personally haven't run New York City ourselves. It's through the stories and the journeys of people who have run the marathon. And as a company uh, for us, for UCAN, uh, you know, this idea of a marathon, it's, it's very personal to our foundation. Um, the story of UCAN really starts with the marathon, and, and it starts with the Feldman family who underwent their own personal marathon to look for an energy solution for their son, Jonah. Um, Jonah was born with a life-threatening blood sugar condition that caused him to be fed every two hours to maintain steady energy levels. Um, so through years and years of research, his family finally found a solution, a nutrition solution, that would give Jonah steady and elongated energy so he could sleep throughout the night. Prior to that, their marathon was waking up every two hours, day and night, to feed their son to allow him to maintain his energy so he could sleep through the night. When they found this innovative energy solution called Superstarch, it was life-changing for the family. Jonah went from waking up every two hours or having to be fed every two hours throughout the day to being able to sleep through the night and going eight hours without needing to be fed. We then started wondering what other types of individuals on a marathon journey could benefit from this Superstarch, this very unique revolutionary energy source that delivers long-lasting energy. So after we ran some clinical trials, we found that for runners and for endurance athletes, uh, for anyone that's active, the same energy source that gave life to Jonah was also something that allowed runners and athletes to extend their energy and maintain their energy for several hours without dealing with the sugar spikes and the highs and lows that that a lot of you who are runners are used to. So our journey began at the marathon. In 2010, we launched the UCAN company at the Boston Marathon and really uh, launched it with Meb Kofleski, one of the most legendary marathoners um, that we've ever seen as the face of UCAN. Meb had been using UCAN starting in 2009 prior to us having a company or a product. And, and with Meb's backing and validation, we went to market in 2010 with, with our UCAN products powered by Superstarch offering longer-lasting, healthier energy for runners. The marathon journey with you 
ESPN continues. Um, as we look ahead to the Olympic trials uh, coming up here in 2020, uh, nine years after our launch, we're proud to say we have 50 athletes that have currently qualified for the 2020 Olympic trials, a combination of men and women, all fueled by UCAN, and, and they're using it both in their training as part of their marathon races to get the best out of themselves. Um, and, and finally, when we talk about stories, you know, the, the story of UCAN and the marathon story, it's been continued through the voice and, and told through the voice of these great podcasters that we're lucky enough to partner up with tonight, each bringing their own unique spin to their marathon journey and offering perspective with their stories. So I just want to thank you all for coming out tonight. Um, without further ado, let's introduce our guests of honor. We start off with Carrie Tollefson. She's an Olympian. You will see her on the New York City Marathon broadcast on Sunday if you're watching it out. Give it up for Carrie Tollefson, host of the C. Tolly Run podcast. And alongside Carrie, we've got Tina Mir. Uh, Tina's host of the Running for Real podcast. She's an elite runner herself. Um, she achieved some really impressive times. Tina's been a featured keynote speaker. She's got a lot of really honest, real things to say. Host of the Running Real for Real podcast, Tina Mir. And we welcome Angie Spencer. She is a veteran of, I, I lost count, I would have told you a number. Last week, it's already changed. A veteran of many, many marathons. She's host of the Marathon Training Academy podcast, the run coach herself, Angie Spencer. And last but certainly not least, give it up for Emily Abadi. She's host of the Hurdle podcast. She's a fitness journalist, a certified personal trainer, a run coach, wealth of knowledge. Give it up for Emily. So we're lucky enough to have uh, these four women here getting ready to provide some insight to us. I'm, I'm going to take advantage of this opportunity and ask the very first question to you guys before I step out of the way. You know, podcasting has become huge nowadays, and a lot of us take the opportunity when we're on the run, uh, when we're commuting, to tune into a podcast. How did you guys all get started in, uh, in podcasting? Carrie, we can start with you. Um, how did you get started in podcasting, and, and what do you try to bring with your voice to the podcast space? Well, thanks, Lauren. We love you can and everything that you guys offer to all of us runners. So we appreciate all the support that you've given us. But for me, podcasting came after my YouTube channel, which I don't know, like I'm, I'm older now. And I feel like when I started YouTubing, it was not really a thing. And then podcasting became about and people might well, the people that I work with at C. Tally Run were like, well, YouTubing is kind of maybe going away a little bit. Podcasting is the next big thing. And for me, and those of you who know me, I um, kind of say sorry after I screw up when I'm on camera because I feel like I can be a goofball. And when I'm on the podcast, it's a little different because it's like the radio voice, right? So it was a scary thing for me to get into podcasting, but it was fun. It was new. It was fresh. And to be honest, I have loved having a little bit longer conversation with my, my guests on the show. And so it's really become something that's fueled me each week and hopefully fuels a lot of you and, and some of the listeners that tune in to see Tally Run each week. But I just think the inspiration of hearing everyone's journey, whether you're an Olympic athlete like I am or you are somebody that's just learning how to run a 5K or just not even a runner yet, just learning how to be, you know, motivated to get after it, which is my favorite saying. So a long story short, it's been a great journey, and I've loved every minute of it. Well, for me, uh, it's, it's interesting you mentioned that with video because I actually started with, um, I was working for a company called Runners Connect, which some of you may have heard of. Um, they had a podcast that was pretty much dying a death. It was really on its way out. And my boss said to me, you can either start a video channel or you can uh, start a podcast. And I had no clue what a podcast was, but I knew that I'm not really kind of the uh, put together video type. So I went opt, opted for that, um, really started to enjoy it, although my first interview was Dave McGillivray, which those of you know, um, who know of him, the race director for the Boston Marathon, pretty you know, high up person to start with. I was so nervous. It was echoing the entire way around. I can't even listen to it now because it was so terrible. Um, but you know, hopefully I progressed from there, ended up starting my own podcast where I left Runners Connect. And, uh, Similar to Carrie, I just really enjoy learning um, from people. And it's interesting, this morning I was talking to someone who um, was asking me about, uh, what else do you like besides running? And I was like, you know what? I do like running, but actually that's probably pretty like, low down on my list of things that I love because I, the podcast for me is about actually getting to know the people underneath the runner, not so much the running itself. So, yeah. 
guess um, back in 2009, my husband and co-host Trevor mentioned that he wanted to start a website and a podcast. And my first question was, what is a podcast? <laughs> I had no idea. Um, and the second one the question I had for him was, who's going to want to listen to us? You know, I'm just a normal everyday mom. I had run a couple marathons by then. Uh, my husband wasn't even a runner. So I was like, this is not going to work because no one wants to hear me talk the whole time. How can you do a running podcast if you're not a runner? So that was kind of the impetus for him to start his running journey. And we kicked off early 2010. So we're kind of old in podcasting years. But uh, the, you know, the show has just really been inspiring for us because we've been able to meet so many great guests, just talk to everyday runners. That's one of our favorite parts is getting to interact with listeners. And like Tina was saying, our first guest of importance, you know, that, that was kind of big in the running world was Bart Yasso. And our audio and our connection was terrible. It kept dropping the call. I think we had to call him back like three times. Of course, he is the most gracious person in the world if you've ever had the chance to say hi to Bart. Uh, so, you know, after that inglorious start, we've been doing it for a few years, and definitely just being able to have such amazing listeners is our favorite part. And our tagline is, you have what it takes to run a marathon and change your life. And people think it's corny at first sometimes, but it sticks in your head. And I think anyone who's run a marathon can attest to the life-changing power that it has. Can I just quickly jump in and say, Angie and Trevor have had 8 million downloads, which is just insane. I just want to They're too modest to say it themselves. I don't have 8 million downloads. <laughs> Either do I. <laughs> Two years young, uh, this December. Again, my name is Emily Abadi. I... Uh, if you don't know the premise of Hurdle, Hurdle is a podcast that talks to everyone from entrepreneurs to top CEOs about how they got through tough times in their lives, hurdles of sorts, by leaning into wellness. So a little deviation from you ladies in that I feel like I'm a little all-encompassing of wellness and fitness, um, maybe a little bit more as a whole. With that said, I had my own hurdle moment, as I like to refer to them. When I was in college, I stepped on the scale, saw a number that was very high for me at 204 pounds, standing at uh, five foot four. I knew that I needed to do something about it, and it wasn't until I started eating better and found a love for running that I started to believe in myself. And then over time, uh, that 70 pound weight loss came off. And so, inspired by my own hurdle moment, inspired by some of the personal things that I was going through in my life, I decided to start connecting with other people and and talk to these people that inspire me about their journeys and how, despite what you do, whether you are Sadie Lincoln and you created Bar 3, or if you're Dina Castor and you're Dina Castor, that we all have had times in our lives where, I don't want to swear, I almost just did, where things have gone wrong and we have leaned into wellness to get through it. So I'm so thankful. Again, I mean, on the Dina note, we sat down together at a hotel in London. I've recorded this everywhere from London to Santa Monica streets to Miami. So I'm so grateful for this journey and, and where it's brought me. And I'm really excited to be here with all of you tonight. So thanks so much for having me. Well, I'm going to step out of the way because we've got a whole bunch of expertise in this room. Uh, thank you all for sharing how you got into podcasting and a little bit of your background. Um, I'm just going to step out of the way and let you guys take it over. All right, Barb. So since we're here for the New York City Marathon, uh, we have a little bit of different stuff going on. None of us are racing. But I want to hear from all of you, why 26.2? I mean, we've kind of heard, you know, your start to this whole running thing. But why did you guys pick the marathon? And tell us maybe the inspiration behind it. Um, I can't really see how, when I was running um, as an elite runner, how that could have not been where I ended up. Um, being someone who was a distance runner in, in college, um, and I did come over here to the U.S. to to do my university, so I was very much ingrained in the American system. It just kind of was where you ended up. I mean, I, don't, I, don't, I look back now, and there are some people who just do half marathons or go back to 10Ks and stay with that, but for me, I, I felt like I didn't really have a choice, but I also wanted to. I, I love the idea of, um, you know, I always loved my long runs. Um, I was quite enjoyed in college. Um, I would set off when we would drive vans to where we were doing our long runs. I would get out of the van and go so I could get ahead of the guys. And then I would make it a challenge to, to see how, how long I could go before they caught me up. Um, and I used to be able to make it to about 13 miles before they caught me up. So <laughs> I actually was really proud of that. And I, so that kind of led into me thinking, I think I'm going to enjoy this marathon thing. I had just moved across the country and 
had a couple small kids at home, and I was kind of feeling honestly a little bit depressed and not sure what the next stage of my life was going to look like, and I actually needed more time to think. So with little kids, they ask you a million questions, <laughs> and I had done a couple of 5Ks at the time and really kind of enjoyed the challenge. I really didn't consider myself to be an athlete at the time. I didn't really do any sports growing up, but running was something that was personally challenging, and I could get out there and just let my thoughts go, solve problems in my head, whatever. And somehow the idea of doing a marathon just kind of stuck in my head. And at the time, I didn't have any friends who were runners. I didn't know anyone who'd ever done a marathon. And maybe that's why it was so appealing. It was kind of like my thing. And so I signed up for the race, bought a pair of running shoes, and then proceeded to do pretty much everything wrong. <laughs> you know, from fueling to long runs to training, it was, there was a lot of messiness in it. But I got through it and crossed that first finish line, and it was painful, but it was amazing. And I knew that, you know, I would do another one. So 61 marathons later, I'm still at it. <laughs> Something stuck, apparently. <laughs> it's life-changing. How many first-time marathoners this weekend do we have in here? I never wanted to be you, ever. <laughs> um, not at 61, but an eight-time marathoner. I was up to Chicago. I grew up uh, weight cycling my entire life. I mentioned the dramatic weight loss in college. And for me, running was always something that I dreaded. My brother was the track athlete of the family. My sophomore year of high school, I didn't make the volleyball team because I couldn't run a mile in under 10 minutes. So for me, running just was not my personal calling. But when I started to go on this weight loss journey, what I learned was that running was the most attainable thing for me to do that didn't require me spending money. You know, the barrier to entry in running is quite low. So I started every day one summer with what I thought was a mile. It was a half mile. I measured it at the end of the summer. It took me 14 minutes to run it every single day, but it didn't even matter when I realized that because what I had realized was that despite the distance that summer, I learned to love running, which was something a girl from Trumbull, Connecticut, never thought that she would do. So, learn to love running, sign up for that first 5K, the 5K becomes 10K, and this is a familiar story, I'm sure, for many of you. Uh, before I knew it, uh, the Hartford Half Marathon, and then a few years after that, after a slew of those, the Hartford Marathon. And so, now eight in, uh, and I just, you know, I affectionately call the first time I ran the New York City Marathon uh, that day as the best day of my life. So, anyone that's going out there, on Sunday, just know that you are already so far in this journey. You have done so much for yourself, and you will always look back on that day, no matter what happens, as one of the best days of your life. So for me, marathoning has to say has been life-changing would be an understatement, but it has empowered me to be a better version of myself everywhere I go, and I'm just so thankful for it. Awesome. Um, I was on the track. So I ran, you saying you went from 5K to 10K to half marathon to marathon. Like, I went from running 12 and a half laps on the track to, what the heck, let's just do 26.2 miles four months to the day, basically, after having my second baby. And um, for me, one of the big reasons why I wanted to do the marathon was because I had nothing to compare it to. And I don't know about some of you, if you're just kind of, you know, going for it and have never run something in between 5K and a marathon. I think that's okay too. It's a, it's a long ways further. Um, 3.1 to 26.2 is that's a long jump, a big jump. But you know, for me, it was when I was competing and running so hard for so long, I needed something that I did not have to, you know, look back on the same workouts or what I had done. And I think I had gotten scared of the sport after I had my children. I wanted to come back after Ruby, but my heart wasn't in it anymore. Um, it wasn't in it enough to train twice a day and to travel and to compete while she was at home with my husband and I wanted to be home with my kids or my kiddo. And then I had my second baby and I kind of was like, okay, maybe going away would be okay. I love Everett, but I needed some more time, right? I needed some time, like Angie said. Um, and I was doing TV work, uh, but I thought, you know what? I'm not going to want to travel so much, so why not stay out on a Saturday morning for two hours and just go for a two-hour run with my friends? And uh, it was it was wonderful. It was really fun to tackle something. It went horribly wrong, and we can get into that later. But it was something that it took me six years to come back, and I finally ran my second one this year. So 
So let me just say it took me a while to go back to it again, but it was Let's celebrate what well, you ran. Well, that was my next question. <laughs> but I did do um, my second marathon this year, and my second question was what inspired you to do your last marathon? And for me, I wanted the house record, to be honest. Charlie, my husband, and two boys are at the hotel right now. But I, I wanted his record. I missed it by a minute. And that first time around, and um, I got it by 11 minutes <laughs> this time around. So um, it was a fun day. It was the Twin Cities Marathon. Anyone ever run Twin Cities before? It's beautiful. Yeah, I did it, and it went well. Didn't train much different, but I did have a four-month-old. So there you go. What's the time? I ran 251.56. Yeah. Guess what? Guess what? Tina's the group hype man. Yeah, I guess I am. <laughs> I know. She's like, tell your stats. But, okay, so let's talk about you guys. Um, let's talk about the inspiration behind your last marathon. Well, my last one was definitely a little bit different to my previous ones. The previous ones were definitely about the results, about um, – you know, I want to get to the next level. Um, it was that typical runner thing we do where when I get to X level, I'll be happy. But then you get there and you're like, well, you know, I want to get to the next level. So I kept doing that, kept chasing it. I've actually only run, I think, six marathons and so not that many. Um, but uh, I don't know how many of you know this, but uh, I think quite a few in the room do that. In 2016, I ran for Great Britain in the World Championships. I ran my PR later that year, 236 in the marathon so those were all about time all about accomplishing things and then in um, early 2017 I stopped running completely wasn't sure I would ever run again um, decided all of a sudden I wanted to start a family uh, didn't run a step for three months had a child less than a year later was on my podcast and you know had told her whole story about you know not having her period for nine years and like the week later found out she was pregnant <laughs> yeah it happened very quick um it was 10 weeks from stopping running to being pregnant uh, after yeah, not having a period for nine years had my daughter and i thought well i had two goals i wanted to kind of uh, get back to the joy of running because uh, towards the end of my running career it was all about the finish line um, I would I remember being in January of 2017 and I had my next race was going to be the Gold Coast in uh, Australia and I was like I can't wait to cross the finish line in July like that and uh, you know when you're thinking that in January that's pretty sad that like all you're thinking about is the finish line not even the race not the build-up to the race the finish line um, so I wanted to find joy I decided to do the Disney half marathon the following January, about one year later, um, as of my kind of attempt to get my joy back in running, and I did. So I thought, you know what, I want to see if I can do it in the marathon, um, and was fortunate enough to be allowed into Boston. And it was hard. Like, I forgot how, um, I thought, I think I thought because I'd run 236, it would, anything slower would just feel easy. Uh, definitely did not. I ran 258, which is still fast. I get that. But I was working about as hard as I had in any marathon to run that time. So it was coming at it a completely different uh, way, but for me it was um, just about doing it for myself rather than about the finish line. Well, like um, some of these ladies have mentioned, your goals kind of tend to snowball as you continue on your running journey. And so my last marathon was the Norwich Marathon in Vermont. I'm actually working to run a marathon in all 50 states. And I'm getting pretty close. That was state number 48 and marathon number 61. So <laughs> we're getting close to the finish line. But it really has been about the joy of the journey. Uh, maybe in the beginning, it kind of was a wild hair, like, oh, can I do this thing? You know, how am I going to juggle this with three young kids and a busy life? And just being able to be inspired by other people who are able to manage the training and the traveling and I think it's just an amazing way to see different states that I probably wouldn't go to otherwise and being able to meet people from those states. So, yeah, this last marathon was extremely hilly. I think it had 3,000 feet of elevation gain. It was freezing cold, and it rained the entire time. So my hands felt like little ice blocks. You know, you're trying to fumble with your, your fuel and get it in your mouth. <laughs> but, you know, there's so much beauty around us, and I think that's one thing about running is that you can just look around you and think, it's so great to be alive. It's great to have this strong, healthy body, um, that I can do things that other people can't do. And I really try to remind myself that um, no matter what marathon I'm running or where I'm at, is that it's a privilege to be able to do this running thing. You know, it's not something that's guaranteed. And so 
really just having that gratitude, I think, is what keeps me going and keeps me excited about it. I can relate to the fumbling with the fuel feeling. Uh, my last marathon was Chicago, but before that, kind of, uh, Boston in 2018, which was the greatest year of all time, if you know anything about the history of Boston as of late. Uh, I just remember being so cold and walking up to someone, running up to someone on the side at one point to ask them if they could put my AirPod back in the case because I couldn't do it myself and it was dead. And then the second thing I asked was I ran up to someone and I said, there are gummies in my pocket. Can you get me them? Like I was incapable of grasping them. So that was that was a fun experience. Uh, as I mentioned, my last marathon was Chicago. It was a dream as dreamy marathons go. I had heard so much about uh, how flat the course was, and I decided to run it uh, just because it's uh, nice to get out of New York every once in a while. I had done New York four times. And I, like I said, I love it, but I was just looking for a different challenge, and so I headed to Chicago, uh, at first going into my training cycle with not a lot of expectations or not really having any big goals, but as I did more and more speed work, I realized that I was in a much better place than I've ever been before. Maybe aside from Boston, I was really geared up for Boston, but again. So I, uh, yeah, I, I went out to Chicago and I, I uh, had an amazing day out there. I ran a 21 minute and eight second PR. <laughs> Uh, and qualified for Boston, which is something I literally, it's a sentence I never thought in my life that I would actually say out loud. So when I ran Boston previously, I did it uh, with a charity or with a corporate sponsor. So it feels really bizarre and empowering to say that I earned my spot there. And everyone says, well, are you going to go back? And I think I still have a little bit of PTSD, but I'm thinking about it. And uh, knowing me, I'll, I'll probably be back there in 2021. Right, so this is all we've been talking about, all the, the good moments, the nice things that um, happen. But we all know, all those of you who have done marathons know, that marathons are not always uh, wonderful the entire way around. In fact, if you get one of those, that's uh, kind of a unicorn that, never hap uh, that happens maybe once in a lifetime. But there are also many really tough moments, moments that you either mentally give up, uh, you either physically you know, have to walk off the course or, or something breaks down. Um, so I would love to hear, you know, something from each of you, but maybe Emily, we can start with, with you this time, uh, you know, a struggle that you went through in one of your races and, and how you got through it. It's funny because I remember in Boston in 2018, the, the mood in Boston was really calm and I'll just, I'll just put this out there. So we're all on the same page. Basically race day was real feel of 32. It was hailing when I started. The wind gusts were up to like 50 miles an hour. A lot of the elites dropped out of hypothermia. It was a rough day. It was a really rough day. And, and the week of the marathon, like I said, the vibe in Boston, it was just like everyone was bummed. And I think for my betterment, I went into race day and I wasn't mad. Like the reality was when I showed up there that day that I could be mad and waste energy on that or I could show up and accept the circumstances and do the best I could with what I had. And so I went into race day knowing that I was prepared to run this marathon regardless of what it was going to be like out there despite being very prepared and having a trash bag on me until like mile 12, I think. Uh, like everyone out there just looked like the walking dead. Uh, I got to the hills, and I say hills because everyone just talks about Heartbreak Hill, but if you know anything about Boston, there's four of them, so don't let anyone fool you. Uh, and I just remember running up the, the last and final hill just so beside myself, and I wanted to cry so bad, but I was just incapable of, like, completely letting go to that amount. But never in a marathon have I felt like my legs were literally – just led and I was drenched and I had thankfully just changed sneakers at one point because I had a friend that had extra sneakers for me on the side and and I'm just drenched and everything hurts and in my head not finishing was never an option it's never 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 an option but I just remember so many of the people that I had been pacing with up to this point slowly one by one they were all going into a med tent they were all ducking out and in my head I was like of all of these people are ducking out, like, am I doing something wrong? But not finishing was never an option. So that was quite the mental 
that all to get through. And again, like I said, I mean, I went into it with a really great attitude and I walked out of that race uh, with a 401, which for me, having a, a PR of 328, and aside from that 328, um, a 349.13. So I was so proud of that 401 and I hung that poster very proudly, that Traxton poster, right over my bed, like the second I could because I worked my butt off for that 401. I was so happy with it. Well, since you talked about cold marathons, I'm going to talk about hot marathons because the heat well, is you my... You know, yeah. you've run 61 of them, so you've been through everything. <laughs> I've been through a few of each, but the heat is my personal nemesis. It's like... I am a pretty heavy sweater anyway, and a salty sweater, and, and my skin loves to chafe, and so you get the salt and the sweat and the heat going, and my skin's like, I'm going to chafe everywhere, no matter what you put on me. <laughs> so I remember one marathon in particular, it was the Lincoln Marathon in Lincoln, Nebraska, and it was one of those spring races where you've kind of trained through the winter, so you have, you know, most of your long runs are in the cold. And then you get a super hot race day, and you're like, what do I do with this? I'm not heat acclimated. And it was kind of like people all around were just kind of like death marching, and there's people being hauled away in ambulances. You're thinking, this is probably not even that safe. And at aid stations, fortunately, they had ice. I'm sticking ice in my sports bra and, like, rubbing it on my head and, you know, anything you can think of to keep cool. And I'm kind of like Emily. I'm, like, too stubborn ever to quit. And, and I, you know, I definitely recommend to people to quit if it becomes an unsafe situation. So I'm a registered nurse, and I would say live to run another day for sure. But you know, for myself, I was like, okay, I'm uncomfortable, I'm miserable, but I'm not in any trouble here. And so I just kind of marched that one in. And there has been times during several marathons, actually, that I've promised myself just cross the finish line, and you never have to do this again. <laughs> and then, of course, you cross the finish line, and you're like, well, that wasn't so bad, was it? <laughs> Maybe you can relate. I don't know. <laughs> well, I had a fueling issue, and I was lucky enough in, what was that, 2013 to kind of connect with Varn and say, hey, Varn, I need some product. And, or he maybe said, Kira, you need product. Um, but I was feeding a baby right before this marathon, and I was feeding the baby during the marathon, whatever. Um, if you want to say that, my body was going through all kinds of gyrations. And I did media work the morning of the marathon, so it's like I had to be at the start line at 5 a.m. or something. And for the guys in the room, sorry, but most of you probably have kids, so here we go. Um, I pumped at about 7 a.m., and I took, I had a, a peanut butter and jelly full-on sandwich at like 5.30 or something like that. But by the time I got to 20 miles, I was waving to the crowd, I was taking it all in, and I forgot to have most of my GenuCan. Um, so I was kind of like, you know, just taking it all in, like I said, and not really paying attention to my feeling. Well, I got to 20, and it, I think it's mile 19 in Minnesota, they have this big blow-up wall, and it's terrible. It's not nice to say that, but you, now that I've run it a couple times, I think it's more so you get fired up to finish, you know, but at that, that time, I was pissed. I was like, why do they have this blow-up wall? Like, that's terrible. And I got to the hills, because that's where our hills start, and everything started to go wrong. I went from running 620, 630 pace, to a 720, to an 815, to a 945, to, you know, and it just kept going, and I was walking, which my husband informed me that most people walk, but as an Olympic athlete, I thought, whoa, I can't walk, right? So I went through everything. I, I did it all wrong that day, and I got to the finish line, and I realized I hadn't taken all my Gen U camp, and I hadn't done anything. So for those of you who are running, I tell you that story because you need to stick with the fueling that you've done. And if you haven't fueled, well, make sure you do something tomorrow because – you know, the longer it goes, the more you really rely on what you did early on. And for me, this product has just been a lifesaver because not only was I feeding that baby and I could continue to feed the baby after, but it, it fueled me throughout now the last six years. I've really learned to, to run properly. And I think that's why I had an 11-minute PR, to be honest. Not because, like I said, the training was so different, but because of the fueling. Well, that's always good to hear. Auntie, you can find I know, right? <laughs> there we go. But it was. It's the truth. Yeah, no, I know it is. I believe. Um, I just want to share mine quickly as well. Um, so in my first marathon, the Philadelphia Marathon 2013, I think, 
my husband, uh, who was also my coach, had said to me, right, you need to, this isn't like any other race. You can't just go out and hold on. It doesn't work like that. I need you to go through 13 controlled. So I did. I stuck to what I was supposed to be doing, was having a conversation with someone. But I got to 13 and I was like, right, go time. So I took off, picked up the pace, stopped fueling. Uh, my, my last drink at mile 15. At mile 16, had the arrogance to think, I've only got 10 miles left. That's not that bad. Mile 19, I, I felt like someone squeezed all the air out of my lungs. And I suddenly couldn't see. I couldn't think. I... Um, had one good mile, which of course happened to be the mile I ran past my husband. And he was like, what's what, what going on? Because I was running fine at that point. Um, but then it came back to bite me. Um, I ended up, yeah, run walking the final few miles. Couldn't see where I was going. I barely knew what my name was. Um, but all I could think about was, I'm, and again, Carrie and I, coming from, I think things have changed a little bit, but coming from an elite world, I was like, I can't believe I'm walking right now. But, um, yeah, and so uh, there was me thinking that I was going to um, smash my time. And, yeah, I ended up running uh, around nine minutes for my final few miles. And, yeah, it was miserable. Uh, but definitely taught me some lessons about multiple things uh, for the marathon. Did you think you were seeing Jesus too? Yeah, yeah, I think. <laughs> I totally <laughs> thought I was walking in the clouds of heaven. <laughs> like, I had all this white going on around. Like, the blood sugar was totally gone. Like, not. And it was just like whites everywhere, and yeah. it was not. Uh, no, it's not, not an experience I would recommend to anyone. Um, okay, so the next thing I want to know from you ladies is, um, I think most runners at some point end up tying their self-worth to um, their running. Um, I mentioned earlier about me kind of doing that for the finish line, and we've all kind of had an experience where you thought something was going to be this amazing experience, you were like, you you know, we're envisioning it and everything was great and you just see it in your mind is going perfectly and then something goes wrong and it all comes crashing down. So I would love to hear, I obviously don't want to hear, I don't love hearing the fact that you struggled, but um, I would love to hear something that you, kind of a moment that, that happened to you and, and how you like forgave yourself for kind of making that error or, or letting yourself kind of get carried away to where your um, self-worth was tied to that result or that finish. So Angie, maybe. Well, I can't really think of a specific race, but I did go through a pretty big health struggle um, about three years ago. My hormones were totally out of balance. I ended up gaining like 40 pounds in one year, which, you know, as Emily knows, is not a good look when you're 5'4". <laughs> and, you know, your, your identity as a running coach, as a runner, is pretty much tied into your body in a lot of ways. And I really felt like, number one, I was letting myself down because somehow I had managed to get myself into this physical condition. And number two, you know, you have a lot of like, what are people going to think of me? You know, here's this running coach telling us to do things. And, you know, she looks like that and she can't even, you know, get her act together when it comes to her fitness. And so it was a real big humbling experience for me. And I really had to realize that I am enough no matter what I look like. And I cannot put my all my identity in my physical appearance. I can't put it in my running times because obviously they suffered during that period of time. And I really just had to step back and think about um, some of my core values. And a couple of my core values are gratitude and courage. And I really had to think, how can I apply this in my daily life? And each person in here is going to have different ways that they can apply gratitude and courage. Everyone has their own unique challenges and their own unique struggles. And so I think if you think about your values and really kind of dig into that, it's going to help you through those situations where you kind of feel stuck and you don't really, <laughs> you don't really see a good way forward. And fortunately, I was able to start working with a nutritionist, and we will talk about this a little bit later when we talk about nutrition and fueling. But thankfully, I did come through that really challenging point in my life, but it's really helped me to um, have more self-knowledge and realize that, you know, you cannot just have all your focus be on physical appearance or your running times because, you know, the body gets older and at some point you don't PR anymore. And um, just to be really grateful for the physical shape that you do have, whatever it is right now, just being grateful that your legs can carry you forward. And so I guess that's one thing that I've kind of learned through going through that. 
as I mentioned when I was younger, I uh, had this interesting relationship with running, but also specifically the mile, uh, having not made the JV team my sophomore year in high school because I couldn't do it in under 10 minutes when I was growing up and, and overweight. My brother, the track athlete, would always joke and he'd say, when I would bother him, he'd say, go run a mile, knowing that I couldn't do it well. So, uh, as many of you know, are all around um, the United States and obviously internationally as well. Now, mile races are, are the move. They're the thing that people love to do. And I, myself, felt very empowered to, to run one as well. So, earlier this summer, I signed up for the Brooklyn Mile. Uh, and I was very open and excited about my training for this. As someone who uh, was, at the time, a seven-time marathoner, the mile... Uh, still felt scary because it wasn't just, okay, can you go out and run a mile? It was, okay, how fast can you go out and run a mile? So from the get-go, with the help of an amazing coach in New York City named Steve Finley, we uh, geared up for me to do it as fast as possible, and my impossible crazy goal was six minutes. And so I uh, trained really hard for that. And as I mentioned, it, it definitely has paid off in the long term with all of the progress that it's helped me uh achieve with the marathon. I mean, by running faster, uh, more frequently, I was seeing speeds and easier speeds than ever before. So super thankful for that. But I was very open and honest about that six minute goal and ended up going out uh, to Kent Avenue in Williamsburg and, and running a 607. And, and that was really challenging for me to accept after the fact, because I felt embarrassed. I felt like it was something that I should have been able to do and I just didn't pull it out that day. And so it took a little, you know, a couple of days to, to get over myself and a couple of good pep talks with some friends and a couple of good glasses of red Barolo. Uh, but once that happened, I really realized that, you know, every failure, obviously, it happens to teach us something. And so it was, it was great, actually, later in the summer. Again, in New York, there's the Fifth Avenue Mile, as many of you know about. And so I went out for the Fifth Avenue Avenue mile the day after uh, a 20 miler long run or long training run. And I went out there that day and in my head, I was just like, you know what, whatever happens here, like it's all good. Like this is not the point. The point is not to do a sub six on Fifth Avenue today. And I didn't, I did a 609, but the fact that I went out there and ran a 609 the day after going out and running 20 miles, I was like, well, you learn something and you're ready to take on whatever the next challenge is that comes your way. So again, all these things, all these failures, all their, these struggles, they're happening to teach us something. They're happening to uh, help us grow some grit. And I, uh, I can certainly say that I'm very proud of that 607 and that 609 and all the other numbers in between. I would have to say, I think the big thing that I've learned from this sport, which is everything, I mean, I've learned everything from this sport. I've grown up in it. Um, it's become my career now after my running career, and, you know, obviously I'm trying to teach my kids, not necessarily if they have to run, but that we can learn from it. But I would have to say coming back from injuries was probably the hardest thing. And the big thing for me, and I, all of us will experience injuries, right? Um, maybe not all of us are going to have to run the mile on national television and show everyone that you are not as fit as you once were. But I can remember doing that in Arkansas, running the mile, and being like 10 seconds slower than I was the year before and knowing everyone that was interested in the sport was going to watch and see me not where I should, not where I was, not where I should be. And um, experiencing that in front of everyone has been a really good life lesson for me that we can put ourselves out there even if we're not 100% and we can learn from it and we can fight back from it. And it's been a struggle, you know, when you are an elite athlete and this is what you've lived and, you know, grown up doing, it's hard to move on from it. And I'm there in this point now where I do broadcast and I do speaking and everything is still revolved around running, but getting slower by the second. And um, it still is my identity. So towing the line is still kind of scary because there's still a little bit of expectation. Even when I, when I ran my 251, then people were already like, are you going to try and run the trials? Like, are you going to do this and that? And I'm like, if you saw my training, there's no way I should try to run the trials. Um, I'm trying to just get out the door. But I think the big thing that we all have to keep in mind is even though we have had failures, we always come back stronger because of it. And um, I think we're all really lucky and ahead of the game because we have the run to kind of smooth it all over again. So pretty thankful for it. We've been talking a bit about challenges, and one big challenge for people can be nutrition and fueling in particular. 
and I'm sure all of us will agree that there's no one-size-fits-all fueling or nutrition strategy that's going to work for everyone. And what worked for you two years ago, you know, might not work for you in two years. So it's kind of one of those things that's always in flux. I've been really fortunate to be using Generation UCAN products since 2013, and I started using them not in the way I recommend it to people. I did not practice with it at all. I had a total disaster with my fueling, you know, couldn't take gels anymore, was getting really sick. And so I just thought, what the heck? It couldn't be any worse than it is. I'm going to use it for this marathon. And it went perfectly. <laughs> so um, I feel really grateful that that's been one predictable thing I've been able to count on for so many years and so many marathons. Um, but let's talk a little bit about nutrition. And the first thing to start out with is are there any changes in your daily nutrition patterns when you're in marathon training? Because a lot of people are not in marathon training 12 months of the year. So, Emily, you want to start your on that? Pizza Fridays. Every Friday, like without fail, uh, I'll go and get two, even though most Fridays I think I should only get one. But I go to the pizza spot. I'm a New Yorker around the corner. I grab two slices. I go home. I have it with a nice big glass of red. It's the best thing. Uh, but in addition to that, I mean, for me, it's always funny. I run with a great group on Thursday mornings, and all of the men in the group are like, I can't eat enough. I'm struggling to eat enough to get all the calories I need. I, my body is just a fat-burning machine, and I've lost 20 pounds. And I walk into Rock Club, and I'm like, I've gained 12 pounds. Uh, I don't have this problem uh, at all, and I'm just constantly hungry. So I think I think the difference for me during a marathon training cycle is I'm actually uh, just trying to fuel my body with whole great foods more so than usual. I mean, I'm definitely cognizant of what I'm eating on the regular, but I think for me when it comes to marathon uh, season, it's just really about getting all of the basics in, you know, like, am I starting my day off with uh, my athletic greens, which I shake up every single day because it has 12 servings of fruits and vegetables. That is like my 100% go-to. Then am I having like whole grains with every meal? Am I getting in more vegetables throughout the day? Is there protein around? Like just really being mindful of what I'm putting into my body because I know for me, just that extra step, that extra cautious attentiveness really goes the extra distance for me. Well, for me, uh, I guess I've kind of gone, I don't want to say the opposite way, but um, when I first started marathoning, I was kind of eating whatever I, whatever I could to be enough. Um, and then as I transitioned kind of through the elite world over the years, um, I became more and more controlling with what I was eating, which obviously now I look back makes sense. As I said, not having a period for nine years, not eating enough clearly uh, correlates there. Um, but I started to get more and more controlling to the point to where my um, final marathon that I did before I stopped was, uh, you know, I would, um, I was controlling everything. When I was uh, in England with my parents, we had to go to the restaurant I chose um, so that I knew I could get healthy food. I wouldn't, I, I still was totally addicted to sweets. I had such a sweet tooth. And I know now that was my, um, I still have a sweet tooth, but it was, it was like a, like a nicotine addiction kind of sweet tooth. Um, and I know now that was obviously my body like screaming at me to give it more, but I've become to the point where I was only eating, uh, basically a whole 30 diet for those of you who know what that is, but only clean foods. I, you know, when um, I would go to um, a place where they would be serving like sandwiches, oh no, I'm not eating the bread, how dare you? Um, I was just very, everything was 100% clean. And so when I um, stopped running, I knew, you know, I had to change my relationship with food. Um, I worked with a dietitian and uh, that really, um, you know, made a difference with my relationship with food. But then this previous marathon in Boston, I kind of went for the opposite. I ate what I wanted, when I wanted, if that was fried chicken. I lived in Kentucky, so there was a lot of it around. Um, <laughs> if that was fried chicken, I had fried chicken. I kind of just let myself do what I wanted. Um, I was fueling with Generation You Can, and I ran uh, Boston 100% only on Generation You Can. And as um, Byron likes to share my funny story, that I actually ended up wearing capris on a 70 degree day because I forgot my shorts. That's how much I believed in UCAN that I wasn't daring to go without it. But so I still had that and I trusted that at least. So I knew that the marathon fueling wise, I would be safe. And, and like Emily, I also use athletic greens. Those two things were the only things I really did. And anything else was just 
whatever, whenever. <laughs> Wait, you wore those three quarter length tights so you could have your you bottle. Can in my yeah, nice. so I was the, I, we laugh, but I was the only sub three hour marathon or in the Twin Cities Marathon with a belt so I could have my, <laughs> my UK. So, we're serious about this. Yeah, we're serious about this. It's good stuff. But um, fueling for me and real quick or nutrition for me, um, you know, I love to eat, period. Like, I, I know you're not supposed to say you run to eat, but I run so I can eat more. And I'm not real specific. I'm not real scientific. I've been lucky that I've been able to run consistently. Or if I was injured, I had to, you know, hammer cross training hard because I was getting paid to run. So since I was 12 years old, I haven't really fluctuated much. Um, you know, I put on 40 pounds of babies. But, you know, I, I've been consistent. And I think for me and my body, being consistent has been the key. It's not so much about being so specific. Um, but you don't see me going a week without a run very often unless it's planned in. You don't see me taking a week off, off without going, you know, and doing some cross-training if I'm hurt. It's, I think having consistency, and if you are going to, you know, make sure you worry about weight or whatever, I think that's what's helped me. I do eat. I'm not one to sit with a bag of chips in front of a TV. Um, I do have a little milkshake every night. I have my, my You Can milkshake every, every day at 3 p.m. with my, well, I want to say six years old, six-year-old son. Um, but, you know, I think that's been for me. So has it been easy? No, not always. But I think I just think about what I put into my body and enjoy it. Because, you know what, guys, we only have one life to live. And if we can run and be healthy, then enjoy some of the things. And you know what? If it's Friday pizza, that sounds lovely. Um, for me, it might be Tuesday and Friday. But I've been able to do that. And I'm a single 30-something living in New York. It's almost like every other day. Yeah. <laughs> and when then, if you do have children, it becomes, Mom, can we have bre or, you know, breakfast, lunch, and dinner of pizza every single day? So it's hard to say no all the time. I think I'm going to bring us home here with one final question. Obviously, uh, for many of us these days, social media plays a huge role in how we interact with other people, how we consume information, uh, and how maybe even sometimes we carry ourselves. My question for you ladies is what impact does social media, if any, have on your training? You know what? For me, it holds me accountable. You know, I am busy. I have all these, feel like I have a thousand different jobs. And we were, we were testing out our mics this morning or this afternoon. What day, what time is it? I don't know. Um, but we were talking and I feel like, you know, how we were all talking at the same time. There are four of us talking at the same time. And that's what I feel like is in my head right now. Um, but, you know, I just would have to say social media for me is accountability. You know, when I posted every week, you guys saw it, I would post my long run every week. Some people would come at me and say, why are you posting your time? Like, are you trying to, you know, say you can still run fast or whatever? And I would come right back at them and say, when I post my 17-mile run last week, and I know I have an 18-miler this week, if I don't post that, I can maybe, you know, just sneak away with not getting it in. So for me, it's totally accountability. I don't have a coach in my year anymore. I don't have teammates holding me accountable to get to practice. So for me, social media has been a good way that way. I think for me it's um – permission. Uh, I think a lot of the time within training, uh, we're very much in our own heads feeling like we're the only ones struggling, uh, we're the only ones having a bad day. And um, so for social media, uh, those of you who know me, I, I running for real, I'm very real, share what I'm thinking. Um, and uh, so being able to say these things and getting other people saying, yes, that is exactly what I feel like. And um, you know, I had that day last week, you'll get through it. I think for me, it's a lot about having, giving myself the permission to, to, to not be okay or to struggle with things or to find things hard. Um, so social media for me is just a nice place that I can also find other people who are also feeling that way. One of the um, sentences in my intro is um, about not being alone. And I think a lot of that is, is what social media brings. It brings you a place. Yes, it can be a highlight reel, but it could also be a place where you see that you're not the only one who's having a hard day. Yeah, I think uh, social media can be a great place for connection. I know we've been able to connect with people all over the world that we would never get to know. I mean, you know, quote, unquote, know, were it not for social media and being able to share in the highs and the lows of their training. Like Tina was saying, to know that you're not alone when something goes great, there's people to cheer you on, and to know when something just falls apart, that other people have been through that, and they can kind of help you put yourself back together. 
And I guess I will say that the negative part of social media is often we tend to, you know, see all of our uncertainties and all of the negatives, you know, we kind of tend to judge ourselves pretty harshly. And then you get in the comparison game and you see someone else's highlight reel. So, you know, you can get in that comparison trap. And I, so I'll say, you know, if, if someone, something is not serving you on social media, then, you know, you need to unfollow that because there's plenty of positivity on social media. There's communities for everyone, people who can build you up. And so if you feel like you're just getting this vibe that you're not good enough, then that's probably social media that you need to disconnect from. So, you know, it can be very good. It can be a tool for really encouraging you and moving you forward, but it can also be something that can hold you out. I think it's permission. I think it's accountability. It's all the things that you ladies are saying. I also believe that for me, I had just this one awful long run this year that for some, like, I had been doing a ton of traveling, spending a lot of time alone. I went out on the long run alone right when I got back, and it was just downhill from the moment I started. And I, I remember I finished it, and I was just so beside myself crying on a park bench near me. And the next week, when I came back to go back out for the, the next long run, I, uh, I said, before I walked out, I said on my Instagram story, I said, I'm about to go out there. And I was like, I really need you guys. Like, this cannot go like it went last week. And so I had the notifications from my DMs going to my Garmin, which is not something I always do. But I turned them on, and literally every two minutes for 22 miles, someone DM'd me, and they told me, complete strangers, some of them, what motivates them to show up when things get hard. And that is what the beauty of social media is. That is the stuff that's worth focusing on, right? It's just this opportunity to connect with like-minded individuals, regardless of where they are, that share a common interest. And for me, that day, it was just a complete, complete game changer. And for that, I'm so thankful. Um, I know we're going to wrap up here. First and foremost, I do want to say thank you so much to you, Can. This has been an awesome opportunity to sit down here with all of you. And, and also to all of these wonderful ladies for sharing their insights. I think we're all a little bit better after this, don't you? All right, well, hope you enjoyed this little bonus live podcast episode. Thanks again to Generation UCAN for making this possible. If you want to try it, of course, go to generationucan.com and use the code MTANYC to save 15% off your order. And if you're a new customer, use the code MTA25 and you'll save 25% off. All right, so that's it for this podcast episode. We'll see you guys on episode 301. We're going to be talking to a running shoe expert. So we'll catch you soon on episode 301. Right on my way.